Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Bethany Grace Fellowship Church. It is a privilege to be back here today and uh, to be able to share what God is doing in Brazil, what God is doing in my life, in the life of my family. Um, Let me just ask this question. As Chris just said, Bethany has been supporting us now for 24 years. Uh, We have been in and out of this fellowship for the last 25 years on furloughs and even before we went to Brazil. But how many of you remember me? Remember the Turley family, okay? Oh, good. Oh, thank you very much. Um, It's nice to be remembered from time to time. Um, When we first went to Brazil, our son was two years old, Joshua. Some of you may remember him. I'll just share some things about the family. Well, Joshua is now six foot, eight inches tall, um, is the minister of media at High Point Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. He controls everything from their television ministry, their radio ministry, everything that has to do with IT and all of those other good things. Um, And uh, he has just been a real joy to our family. And he is giving us our third grandchild in July. He has a four-year-old little boy, a two-year-old girl, and there will be another girl born in July. And uh, so it's just exciting to see our children walk in truth, as the Bible says. And... um, Unfortunately, you did not get to see the prettier part of the family this morning. Uh, Diana, my wife, and uh, Charity, our daughter, is down with the children. They're going to have a great time down there this morning. Your, your kids are going to be down there, and your grandkids are going to be down there with uh, Charity and uh, Diana. Uh, Charity, the last time we were here, uh, which was probably 2005 when we were on furlough, uh, you know, she was just four years old. Well, she's 10 years old now. And she's going to be helping her mother down there this morning. Uh, But if you see a beautiful little blonde angel walking around here, all dressed in pink afterwards, well, that's my daughter. Okay? Um, We're just so pleased with uh, what God is doing in the lives of our family. It's not always easy. uh, But it is worth it to teach our children and bring them up in truth. And as I look out over the, uh, the congregation here, There are probably some of you that were probably that little when we first came here 25 years ago and uh, different things in your life. I will ask this. If some of you still have a doubt about remembering us, um, maybe you'll remember this. Because I think if you remember nothing else about our ministry, which the first 14 years were spent in the Amazon, uh, God gave us privilege to work in a camp ministry. As a matter of fact, this church sent a couple, Ben and Darlene Martin, you remember Ben and Darlene? They went down and helped build a dormitory at a camp we worked at uh, in the Amazon. We have lots of wild jungle stories. You know, we never worked with Indians, um, but it was always an interesting uh, moment living literally in the heart of the jungle. Uh, when I say the heart of the jungle now, I'm talking about the city of Manaus, which is a million and a half people in the middle of the jungle, okay? Uh, but we did live at this camp for a number of years. And uh, what we brought back with us one time was an 11-foot-long boa constrictor skin. Now, some of you ladies, you know, would probably say, I remember that, okay? And don't like it, okay? Well, don't worry. I didn't bring it with me up here this morning. It's downstairs with the kids, Okay? Now, we missionaries are very guilty of doing things like that because some of you say, I'll never be a missionary. Where is, um, where's Janie? Janie Brubaker, is she in here? She's right there. Janie and and Ray prepared us a wonderful meal last night. 
And uh, I know they spent a couple years, uh, almost two years in, in Jamaica. But she said, you know what? I could never be a missionary in Brazil if you have snakes like that. And I'm like, well, just don't go look in your basement then, Janie. Okay, because, you know, where we live now, though, um, it's rare to see a snake or a big tarantula or anything like that. I tell people the, uh, the worst type of snakes we have where we live now are the two-legged type that walk around with guns and knives. And uh, we traded literally the Amazon jungle for the concrete jungles of the uh, state of Sao Paulo, just an hour outside of the city of Sao Paulo. Depending on who you ask and what uh, site you would look at on the Internet, Sao Paulo is somewhere between the second and the fourth largest city in the world. 24 million people living in a megapolis area. We live just about an hour away from that in the city of San Jose dos Campos. Anybody ever heard of that? Nope, didn't think so, okay? Um, city of 750,000 people, a very modern city. We have four shopping malls in our town. We had a group of young people come down to do some mission work from a, a ministry here in the States, and one of the guys says, this isn't missions. I'm like, oh, really? What is missions work then? He goes, well, you've got to be in the jungle. I've said, done that, you know? And uh, he says, man, you've got to be living it rough. And I'm like, you know, since when does... You know, missions depend on the style of living that you do. And I want you to listen to that. Since when did missions depend on, you know, going someplace else to live? Now, yes, um, I say that God gave us a call, but I can be a missionary anywhere. If, If for some reason I couldn't go back to Brazil which we are intending to do in January of next year. If there was some reason I couldn't go back to Brazil, I could be a missionary anywhere. As a matter of fact, um, just in spending a little bit of time here in Lancaster County, let me tell you, you need missionaries here. You know that? And I want to share some of of those things with you today, but I want to share it in context with what we're doing in Brazil. Uh, Nine years ago, almost 10 years ago now, over nine years ago, the Lord led us to the city of San Jose dos Campos. Now, let me, I'll, let me back up here again. How many of you have ever ridden on an Embraer regional jet? Now, if you ever do any flying uh, in and out of Harrisonburg or Pittsburgh or out of Philadelphia, chances are you've ridden on small jets. There's only two manufacturers in the world. One is Bombardier, which is in Canada. The other one is Embraer in Brazil. And if you've ever ridden on an ERJ-145 or uh, an ERJ-170 or what they call E-Jet-170 or 190, well, those were made right in the city I live in. We live in a very modern city uh, where the fourth largest airplane manufacturer in the world has their headquarters. Uh, We have modern jets. We also live in the NASA of Brazil. They manufacture small rockets and satellites and everything else in our city. There are more PhDs and engineers in our city than the rest of Brazil combined. We're talking about smart people. Now, don't ask why I went there. You know, I go there and I like, I are a college graduate, you know. Um, But uh, some some extreme challenges when you work with people like that because they already have their minds made up that God doesn't exist, that everything, you know, happened from a a big bang theory. And I always like to tell them, well, then let's just do that. Let's go over to the hangar, you know, and get a whole bunch of parts out of the parts department and throw them in the air and say, we're going to have an airplane, you know. Isn't that how these airplanes are made here? And they're like, oh, no, you have to plan and everything's all structured and everything. Like, Okay, we'll get there one of these days. Um, But a very interesting city, to say the least. And the Lord led us into some very interesting ministries. 
Um, we worked with the First Baptist Church in that city as one of the pastors. I always place myself under Brazilian leadership. We have a wonderful young pastor, 40 years old, uh, who is just, uh, he thinks it is his personal responsibility to win the entire city to Christ. I mean, this man probably wakes up every morning going, what can we do today to win people for Jesus? And uh, he passes that down to his staff. And uh, just about two years ago, he asked me if I would join him in helping send also Brazilians to the mission field. The first couple of years, we worked in the missions department of that church, but with some projects they had scattered throughout Brazil. And then we worked for about four and a half years, Diana and I, with the, ministry, with the family ministries and traveling all over Brazil doing family ministries. And I believe the last time we were here, we spoke about that. Uh, some of the things that opportunities that God gave us of uh, being able to share with family ministries and doing family seminars and encouraging Brazilian families. Let me tell you, there is not a country on the face of the earth that has more difficulties because they have had no, um, they've had no examples of any type of a godly family or any type of a, a family structure. Now, yes, they've been married, and uh, but let me tell you, just immorality, everything you can imagine that goes along with that takes place in Brazil. It's just a regular Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And uh, as a matter of fact, I read, uh, since because of your interest in fostering, and et cetera, uh, and also I want to encourage you to, to go back and look at the compassion table. Uh, I only saw, I think, two kids on there from Brazil. I would encourage you to... Take them first, okay, since I'm from Brazil. But um, several years ago, I read in a newspaper that 80% of the children in the public schools in Brazil do not know who their real father is. Now, I always challenged that number. I always questioned that. And I would always say, you know, I don't think that's right. I mean, that just seems, you know, 80%. And one time I was talking with a social worker after I made that comment in one of our meetings, and she says, you're probably right. That number is probably not correct. And I'm thinking, oh, good, she's going to tell me maybe 60%. She goes, it's probably more like 90%. She said, in the district I work in, I would dare say that 90% of the kids in the public school system do not know who their real father is. That is a tragedy. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it has caused an entire country to to have so many doubts, even about a heavenly father. And so as we were working in these family ministries, that was one of my goals was to say, you know, there have got to be some godly men and we've got to be able to train. And uh, we would go to do some of these family seminars and I would get so frustrated. I'm going to step down here a little bit, okay? I would get so frustrated. You know why? Because there would be, say, maybe... 25 couples, 30 couples. We've done some as many as, you know, 150 married couples, or at least they were together anyway. And most of the men would sit there like this. They're probably wondering, you know, when's this guy going to stop so we can go out and watch the soccer game, you know, or go do something else, you know, go to the bar with my buds or something. I mean, it was sad. And the sad part of it was they were supposed to be men from the church. And most of them were probably drugged there, you know, by their wives. It's like, you got to go. You got to go hear what that bald pastor is going to say, you know, to help us have a happier marriage. And he's probably thinking, the only way I'm going to have a marriage is get rid of you, woman. You know, it was so sad. I would say that probably 90% of the men in these family seminars were there just because their wives told them to go. And they just kind of went to keep her quiet. And I'm like, where are the godly men? 
Where's where's a godly family? Where's the church at a time like this when you need the church? And God really started bugging me about that. And the Lord, just about two and a half years ago, in the middle of the change to where our pastor asked if I would help be a missions director of the church and to help send Brazilians to different parts of the world, I got to thinking, but how can we send families or how can we send even young people if they have so much baggage? And the Lord gave us some wonderful opportunities to start working with men. And for the last year and a half, I've been working with a group of about 50 men. Um, not all of them married, some of them young men. As a matter of fact, it's quite sad. Uh, we, we, our church has grown tremendously. Um, on any given Sunday, probably close to 5,000 people now in four different services. Um, it's gotten to be a big church and uh, lots of opportunities. It also means lots of problems. As a matter of fact, nine and a half years ago when Diana and I joined that church, when we started working there, there was maybe a 1,000 members so you figure 4,000 people have been added to the church in about the last nine and a half years, and uh, most of them through salvation. It's been exciting. Like I said, our pastor just dreams of ways that we can win people to Christ. And uh, so you've got, we've got people coming, you know, to Christ, and they're coming. They have absolutely no clue what it means to be a Christian. And so most of these 50 that I'm working with are mostly younger men. Most of them have only been in the church for a year and a half or less. And it is wonderful. Because you know what? I don't get some of these guys that sit there and do this. Like some of the church men do. I've got young men and and some of them are just newlyweds who are just anxious to learn what it means to be a godly man. It's been so neat because um, I'll give you another example. As I told you, we've had some tremendous church growth. About every quarter, we will have a baptismal service. And the Lord has given us such wonderful opportunities through the evangelism of the church and different outreaches. And um, this one particular baptism I'm remembering, we had about 150 candidates for baptism. So we get the swimming pool from the swim team, and there's about 12 pastors and ministers from our church. We go into the water, and they bring him in, you know, about 12 at a time, 15 at a time, however many there are of us are the pastors. And I remember this one baptism. I don't know all those people. I mean, you know, I have little contact with them basically at that point because most of my work begins with discipling them afterwards. And um, it was so neat to be able to baptize. And, and then several months after this baptism, I was walking across the parking lot of the church and this five-year-old little boy comes running up to me and he's going, Pastor Tom, Pastor Tom, Pastor Tom, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm looking at this five-year-old kid and I'm like, where do I know him from? You know? And, um, he just comes over and he grabs me around my leg. You know, I'm that much taller than he is. And he grabs me and he's just thanking me. So I got down and I said, well, you know, what's your name? And he told me, and I said, well, why are you thanking me? And he says, because you gave me a new daddy. I looked at him and I'm like, Hmm, now what's this about? And about that time, his mother came up and said, um, you don't know us, but you baptized my husband, this little boy's dad, and he is a changed man. And a five-year-old boy recognized that. He had a brand new dad. Well, I found out who this young man was, and it's quite interesting. He is an athlete, 
He's got tattoos on him. He's not just any normal athlete. He's a jiu-jitsu athlete, a professional jiu-jitsu wrestler. Does anybody here know what jiu-jitsu is? Okay. It's gaining popularity in the States. It's a form of martial arts. It's basically a Brazilian martial arts. And um, they've made it into quite an interesting um, sport. And it's becoming known worldwide. And uh, he is a jiu-jitsu athlete. And uh, he came up to him and he goes, what can I do to serve Christ? He sells cell phones in the shopping mall, you know, to make a living and tries to be an athlete. And he's like, what can I do? How can I serve Christ? You know, what ministry do I have to get in in the church? And I'm like, you have the greatest ministry in the face of the earth. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, first of all, you got a five-year-old boy that just loves you to death now. I said, you've got to learn to be a godly dad to that little boy. I said, and secondly, you have a way to, to reach out to a group of people that will never come to our church. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, man, when you're in that, on that mat up there, when you're up there slamming guys, I mean, the guy is the uh, state champion, okay, in his weight class. I said, when you're up there slamming guys on the mat, you can tell them about Jesus Christ. And he's like, I never thought of that. I said, think about it, you know? You see, we, for some reason we have this idea, and, and even though, you know, we're in Brazil, they, they kind of have the same thing. I think Satan puts that in our minds that, you know, we're Christians in church. We don't have to be a Christian anywhere else. And my thing is, wait a minute, you, you, first of all, you know, you have Christ in you. That's what the Bible tells us. And uh, so anyway, this young guy is like, wow, what can we do? Well... He went and got one of our youth pastors. Chris, you would love our youth pastor, okay? He also has got involved in the jiu-jitsu. He's an extreme sports nut anyway. I mean, the guy is a, a mountain climber. and he's, he's one of the type of guys that likes to climb, hang off of cliffs just by his fingernails, you know? I'm like, you know, this guy is nuts, you know? But then I got to look at his youth group, and I'm thinking, everybody in his youth group is nuts too. They all want to do the same thing. And then finally I thought, you know, maybe they've got it right because you know what? I've seen some of our youth bringing their friends in going, you know, hey, we were having this Bible study on the side of a cliff, you know? And, and you know, and here's my friend that just came to Christ. And then we try to do the spiritual thing. Well, he's got to come to church and he's got to get a haircut and he's got to start wearing a certain type of clothing. And, you know, I mean, what do you tell somebody who just gets saved? Well, you have to go to the bookstore and buy this book and this will make you more spiritual. And I'm like, where is that in the Bible? During this same time period, the Lord gave us opportunities to uh, partner with a church in Cairo, Egypt, an Egyptian church pastored by Egyptians, a church that's doing some wonderful things in the city of Cairo. And they've realized that because they're Egyptians, they cannot evangelize in Egypt. They're Arabs, okay? And uh, it's against the law for them to evangelize their own people. So this church came up with a unique plan of evangelism, of getting American churches. And now they've gone to Brazil. We've, we've partnered with them and they're wanting Brazilians because Arabs love Brazilians. First of all, Brazilians look like Arabs. Secondly, Arabs love soccer. And thirdly, Brazil has the best soccer team in the world. Okay. And so Arabs, you know, soccer missions. And this church is coming to me and saying, we need five soccer coaches. They have to be card-carrying soccer coaches because this church started soccer schools. It's a way to evangelize young people. And in April of last year, I was able to go to Cairo. 
and to see part of that ministry, I was flabbergasted. I'm here to tell you. You know, we think sometimes we're doing God a favor by coming to church and, you know, doing our little thing here. And then we just kind of go home and it's like, oh, you know, what's on the tube? And, you know, we forget about the ministry. Or we'll work, you know, Monday through Friday and forget about Christ. You know, no, it's about making money. It's about having a bigger house or a newer car or all these things. And uh, here I am in Cairo meeting doctors who gave up their practices to become missionaries in countries that I'm prohibited to tell. Where their wives now have to wear burkas. You know what a burka is? It's that big, long gown that the women have to wear that all you can see are their eyes. And, uh, you know, I'd be thinking, you know, my wife would say, we need to first of all liberate these women from wearing these awkward gowns. And I met some Arab women who were like, this is the most wonderful ministry opportunity in the world because we can carry 12 to 15 Bibles under those things and nobody knows. You know, it's, and, but I was there and, but this, this church in Cairo said, Tom, if you can't send us soccer players, as a matter of fact, I've, I've only been able to find one soccer player for him. Oh, got a lot of guys who say they know how to play soccer. And then when you tell them, let's go use that for the gospel of Christ. They're like, oh, sorry, not me. What me share my faith? Uh, don't think so. That's so sad. So I've been working with these men trying to get them encouraged and realize that, you know what, everything you have, your gifts, your talents, they all come from God, and it's not for you to make more money. It's for you to be able to share the love of Christ around the world. And uh, I was, you know, just frustrated. And then I said, but you know what? I do have a jujitsu athlete and a crazy youth pastor that I could send over. And they can do a presentation. They'll this church in Cairo there at the first response to that was like, well, you know what? We had some of those wrestlers come from a wrestling ministry in the States and it was all fake. And I'm like, well, what these guys do is not fake. I'm telling you, there'll be blood and guts and everything else all over the map by the time they're finished with probably. And, um, anyway, I got back to Brazil and got with this young man and our youth pastor and we worked out a plan And in November of last year, we were able to send four jiu-jitsu athletes, one of them being the youth pastor, to Cairo, Egypt, to work in a very special, organized, evangelistic outreach for three days all across Egypt. And that particular ministry of jiu-jitsu athletes from Brazil came back with over 700 decision cards filled out for Christ. Let me tell you, God is doing a work. And he's chosen to do it in some very unusual ways. And it's not because they have a traditional church service where they can go and do their little traditional thing. And, and I'm not knocking any of that. I have been a part of that. I am still a part of that in Brazil. We still have our church services. As a matter of fact, for about the last five years, Diana and I have been very much involved in an English-speaking ministry in our church. Every Sunday morning, we will have two Portuguese services, um, Close to 3,000 people, all English speak, all Portuguese speaking, uh, rather. Uh, but our pastor came to us about five years ago and said, you know what? There's enough English speaking people in this town. We need to have an English speaking ministry as well. And so about five years ago, we helped start this. And now every Sunday morning, we will have anywhere from 75 to 100 English speakers in a special service. At the same time, we're having our Portuguese service. It ruined my Portuguese and my English. I don't know if I'm coming or going anymore, you know. Uh, As a matter of fact, I was invited to speak at a Chinese church, of all things, 
Um, and so it was for the Chinese New Year in February a couple years ago. And so I'm speaking. I asked them. I, uh, they told me, they said, you can preach in English or Portuguese because your translator knows both. And he's going to translate it into Chinese, Mandarin, and Taiwanese at the same time. And uh, so here I am. I, there were Brazilians there. So I preached. Here's an American preaching in Portuguese, being translated into Taiwanese and uh, Mandarin Chinese. And the very next morning in Brazil, I'm preaching in English and I'm going, what country am I in? You know, goodness, it's crazy. But that is what God is doing. He's doing a work just as we sang a little while ago, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And yet there are many who don't know Christ. And we have the response. We have everything that we need to be a part of this ministry. It's amazing to see what God is doing. Also, um, Chris, you were talking about the 1130, okay? Um, Our church also got involved in a project in Haiti, even before the earthquake. I don't know if you're um, aware, but from like 2005 to 2010, Haiti became a very ugly place. It was already very poor, already steeped in voodooism. Uh, it, it, it was a sad situation. Uh, from 2005 to about 2000, there were like 167 uh, missionaries and other international peoples, uh, foreigners, that were murdered in Haiti. Um, the Brazilian army leads the United Nations contingency in that country to try to maintain peace. Um, I won't get into politics, but they're not there to maintain peace, okay? They're there for other reasons. Um, but it's been quite interesting because the Haitians do love Brazilians because of the Brazilian army influence there. And um, they also love soccer. And when the Brazilian soccer team went to Port-au-Prince and played in the stadium there one time, the place went nuts. So, I mean, it's, it's not unusual to be in Haiti. Has anybody ever been to Haiti from here? Okay, if, if you remember all the, the real funny buses with all the paintings and have all the, on the back of a number of those buses, you'll see paintings of Brazilian soccer players, okay? They just love Brazilians. And it's so neat. <clears throat> it gives us wonderful opportunities of ministry. And then after the earthquake, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, before the earthquake, our church was getting involved because a lot of North American mission agencies pulled out of Haiti. It just became too dangerous for them. They said, you know, they just threw their hands in the air and said, you know, we're going to take our people out of there. But the Brazilians kind of stepped in. And it's amazing to see the response, see what got it. And then the earthquake happened. And right after that, we sent five different relief teams into there to help with relief efforts. And then in July of last year, I had the privilege of going back to Haiti for a pastor's conference. Oh, we had a blessed time. It It was wonderful. But then... I went and preached in a couple of Haitian churches. Now, I got to the church at about 8.30 in the morning, and I don't know how long they'd been singing, but they were singing by the time I got there. A little church, maybe 150 people, and uh, they sang for just about an hour. I mean, on their feet, singing, only like those black people can. I mean, it was just amazing. And uh, they're there worshiping God, and I'm looking around, seeing all the cracks in the walls, you know, the building was shaking a little bit because of the singing. And I'm like, are we having another earthquake here, you know? And uh, they're like, oh, don't worry about it. It's safe. You know, it didn't fall the first time. It won't fall now. And I'm like, I sure hope so. And um, then they finally invited me up to preach. Now, 
I was looking at my watch and I'm thinking, okay, you know, a 20 minute sermon being translated into Creole, that's 40 minutes. So that, we took about 50 minutes of time. And during that time, nobody got up. I mean, nobody moved. And I thought I did a good job of preaching, you know, I mean, and then when I finished, they sang for about another 20 minutes. And then they said, now we're going to have the second sermon of the morning. And I'm like, you're kidding me. This other guy, he got up and preached. He wasn't near as nice as I was. He preached almost 45 minutes, add 45 minutes to the translation. It was an hour and a half and nobody budged. But I'm thinking my stomach is growling, you know, that North American thing in us. You know, we have a biological clock. It was telling me, hey, it's noon. We didn't get out of there until like 1.30. And you know what? I didn't meet anybody that seemed to care. They only have one church service a week. And they wanted to make the best of it. I mean, it's like this is a time where we come together for, for corporate worship and fellowship. And we get the word. And that helps us through the week. But I also remember I asked in the beginning of my sermon, how many of you here lost somebody in the earthquake? And out of 150 people, maybe 15 hands. And then I asked another question, how many of you lost your homes? Every hand in the church went up. 100% of that congregation lost their homes. They were all living in a tent city somewhere. But after the service, the pastor told me, Tom, he says, I want, you to in, I want to introduce you to someone. They took me over to this young lady, and she was just beaming ear to ear. Now, she'd been there from like 8 o'clock in the morning until 1.30 in the afternoon with no water, no, you know, food. And, uh, and she was all happy and excited. And, uh, and the pastor said, I want her to tell you, tell you her story. And um, she told me how that she was a believer in Christ but married a non-believer. She said, I knew it was wrong, but I did. But God blessed, and I always said that it was the material things that proved God's blessing on my life because I was able to get a good job. And uh, with that good job, we were able to buy a house, and then we were able to even buy a car. And in Haiti, that is a miracle, to be able to purchase a car. And she said, I had everything I wanted. And I kept saying, well, see, though, even I'm married to a non-believer, God is blessing me. She said, inside, I was miserable. Since our marriage was falling apart, she says, and I was just as guilty as he was. And then she said the earthquake came. Her house fell on top of her car. Her build, the building where she worked also collapsed. So she lost her job, her car, and her house, and everything in it. But her, her two children, and her husband were able to, to get out and were saved. One week later, her husband gave his life to Christ. And listen to the words of this woman. You know what I found out, Pastor? Those things mean nothing. God can take everything else now. Because now we are serving Christ together as a family. I'm like, what a wonderful testimony. A medical doctor from Cairo, Egypt, who gives up his practice to go to another country where it is prohibited to even be a Christian. And he doesn't go there as a missionary to think that he can come back to Egypt if, if things don't go right. No, he and his 14-year-old daughter and wife went there at, on immigrant status to live and, if necessary, to die for the cause of Christ. 
And the daughter and the, and the mother did not come to that conference that I was at because they said they had too many important Bible studies to share with some other women in this country. I, I met some amazing I heard some amazing stories. And just recently, Diana and I, and Charity, we had the opportunity to stay with a couple uh, in, near Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I've known this family for a long, long time. He was one of my mentors when I was uh, in college at Liberty University. And um, he has started his own mission organization called Epic International. But at age 70, just about four years ago, at age 70, he and his wife sold everything they had here in the United States and went and lived in Kurdistan to the north of Iraq and Iran. And they went there and lived one year at, at, at 70 years of age. You know, their, their kids and their grandkids were saying, Grandma and Grandpa, you all have gone nuts. You know, why are you doing that? Why are you giving up the comforts of, of home, you know, to be able to go do that? And they said, because there is a higher calling And they went over there to work with not only his mission organization, but also with Open Door Ministries. Some of you may be familiar with them, uh, with Brother Andrew, God's Bible smuggler from years ago. They went over and worked with that organization because they want to try to get the scripture. They want to try to get Bible studies and Bibles into Iran, Iraq, and other parts in Afghanistan, etc. But they needed to know, they had to kind of map out things and say, how many house churches are there? How many baptized believers are there in these areas? And he came back with some fascinating stories and he came back with a number that just blows everybody out of the water. Over 1 million baptized believers in the regions of northern Iraq, northern Iran, and Kurdistan. You will never hear that on Fox News even, certainly not on CNN. Over one million. In the past three and a half years, those two ministries combined have been able to get in over one and a half million Bibles into lands where it is prohibited to have the word of God. And when I was in his home, I met a 28-year-old Iraqi church planter, a single man who was able to come to the States, and uh, he was just here in the United States for a short time, spoke great English as well. And it was quite interesting because uh, I helped plant churches in the northern part of Brazil, you know, and... uh, uh, I helped start 20 churches in the 14 years that we lived up in the northern part of Brazil. And I was fascinated when he said, well, in, in about the last three and a half years, uh, my dad and I have helped start 20 churches in the northern part of Iraq. And uh, so I was wanting to know what method does he use? You know, how, what's your tactics? You know, what do you do? How do you, how do you do that? He says, well, we go into a city, you know, dad starts his little business. I didn't get into what his dad does. And uh, we start a house church in our home. And when the Taliban comes and threatens to kill us and we have to leave, we can say, well, God, here's another church planted. And then they go to another city and they'll do the same thing there. They'll start a house church in their home and uh, they'll be discipling people. And when the Taliban finds out about it, they'll go and threaten them and they pack up their bags and they go and leave and they go somewhere else. 20 churches in the last three and a half years because of the Taliban. And we thought they were terrorists. I'm here to tell you, they are God agents for church planning all across Afghanistan, Iraq, and Iran. You see, if all we want to do is talk politics, oh, we can find plenty of things wrong. But it's time for us to open our eyes and realize 
that we have what we need, and his name is Jesus Christ. We don't need buildings. We don't need a sign. We don't even have to have a a written-out Bible study. But if you have Christ, you have all you need. And I want you to, to join me in looking at a verse this morning. I'm going to be very North American. I'm going to read it from my iPhone, okay? Yeah, we've gone high tech <laughs> in every way. I, I brought the written word too, okay? But this is the King James, and uh, I want to read it in both, actually. Second Peter chapter 1, the third verse. Second Peter, the first chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Second Peter, yes, the first chapter, verse 3. And I think Paul, uh, Peter rather, has a very interesting focus on something. Because I think when Peter was out, at the same time Paul was, of course, Paul going, you know, to the non-Jews, Peter was working with the Jews still, but he realized that there was something wrong when everybody says, oh, well, I go to this synagogue or, or sure, you know, I'm, I have this function in the church. And I think Peter was on to something when, when he realized that there were people that probably said, you know, well, sure, I'm in the synagogue, I'm in the church, I do this or I do that. And, um, but it was like, where is Christ in all of this? Because to that point, it's like everything that I do. What book did you read? You know, even Paul said one time, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you, you know, because there were so many people going, oh, I was baptized by this person. I was baptized by that person. We get hooked up on, of course, some of the the human things, the things that we can see, the things that we can touch, the things that we can put our arms around. And if it makes us feel good, we think that's God. But just like this young man that I was able to, this jiu-jitsu athlete that I was able to send to, to Egypt, I, I, later I was able to spend some more time with him as uh, we did some relief work during the, uh, the problems they were having with the mudslides in north of Rio where just thousands of people died as well. And, and uh, he went up and spent about five days with me, just uh, he and uh, myself and two other men from our church. And uh, it was amazing. But he, he kept saying, you know, Pastor, you know, I, this is what I want to do full time. And I'm like, well, you got a family you got to take care of. Yeah, I said, keep selling the cell phones at the mall. You know, because um, it's not a nine to five job and you can, you know, negotiate your schedule and, and it gives you opportunities to, to go and be a jiu-jitsu athlete. And it gives you opportunities to come and do things like this. And he goes, and you know what? It's funny, Pastor. He said, I went to Egypt and now I'm here with you. And he says, I'm the number one seller of cell phones in our place. And he says, and I'm hardly even there. <laughs> you know, I'm like, praise God. See, the Lord is faithful in providing for your needs. And he says, but I feel like I need more. He says, I feel like I need to give it all up and go to seminary. And I'm like, oh, please don't. Now, I'm a seminary student, okay? I'm still working on my master's degree since 1995, okay? Um, Some of you will understand a little later, okay? I'm a slow learner. Um, But it's because I realized that there is not a degree that takes the place of what the Holy Spirit does in us. If I read Romans chapter 8 correctly, it says the first gift we received when we accepted Christ was the Holy Spirit. We all received the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says it is given to each one of us gifts. And many of us have talents. And those were given also by God. But sometimes we feel like, well, 
I just need a little more. I need a little more training here. I need a little bit more of this. And I, we feel like we always need more. I need to go to this conference or that conference. And, or I need to do this seminar. And then we use that as an excuse. Well, you know, I really can't witness at my job because I just don't feel like I've got what it takes. Or I could never be a missionary like you. Well, praise God, be a better missionary than me, okay? I don't want you to be a missionary like me. I want you to go out and do what God wants you to do. But we always come up with this blank that says, how? I'm lacking something. And Peter hit the nail right on the head when in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse, I'm mean, 2 Peter rather, verse 3, this is what he says. His divine power. Now, who is the his here? You help me out. Who is his? That's God. Okay? So it is God's divine power. Now, what does the word divine mean? That's something you can go home and study. Okay. Oh, Pastor Tom's asking all these questions at church. I don't know all the answers. But it's his divine power. In other words, it is his holy power. It is the power of God. Now, what has the power of God done? It says he has given us. Now, who's the us? He was talking to believers at this point. Us. It's you-ins, okay? It's we-ins, you know? It's me. It's, it's you. He's like God's divine power. God thought this up. God prepared all of this. He said, it is his divine power has given us, and I love this next word. What's the next word in your Bible? Everything. He has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything you need to live a life that pleases God, is another translation, or even in the, uh, the old King James here, it says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life. Everything you need to live life. Everything that you need to live a godly life. Everything you need to be a missionary at school, at work, or everything you need to be a, a husband at home, everything you need to be a, a godly wife, everything you need to be an obedient son or daughter, everything you need to be a witness where you work, everything you need to stand up in a classroom and say, I will not bow down my knee to the things of the world and Satan. Everything you need, you already have. Because it was God's divine power that has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And it is through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. If you are a believer here this morning, then you already have everything you need. Now, see, we usually stop and say, yep, you're right, Pastor. I got everything I need to take me to heaven. If I die right now, I'm going to heaven. But what about everything you need tomorrow morning at work? Some people come to church and say, oh, I just can't wait to go to church on, on Sunday because it'll charge up my batteries. Well, I understand what you're saying. 
It's good to have fellowship. It's good to have such wonderful music. And I loved singing it this morning. It reminded me of the English service in our church in Brazil. And uh, it's great. I understand what you're saying. To be able to get a hug, you know, to be able to see somebody you haven't seen all week and to, to be encouraged with the word. And I'm sure that Pastor Adam's doing a great job. But is that not relying then on human things? Do we forget that everything we need has come from a a higher power? And that higher power is called God Almighty. And he is saying that I have already planned everything. In my divine wisdom, I knew that you would need the Holy Spirit. And upon your confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, and when you open your life, whatever terminology you use, you know, it's amazing. You go, you preach in some churches, and at the time of the invitation, some of them are saying, let go, and the others are saying, hang on, you know. It's like, what do you do? Do you let go? Do you hang on? You know, what's going on? You know? Well, all I know is that when Christ comes in, when you give him control, should I say, actually, we, we, we say we invite him. He's been, he's been the one inviting us all along. And when you finally give in to him, he says, you will have the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, knowledge is to to grow because later on he goes, you need to add to knowledge virtue and to virtue goodness. And and you start adding on to those things. That's what the church is for, to help, yes, to help us to, to build. But let me tell you, everything you need for tomorrow, everything you need, in a family relationship, in a marriage relationship, you already have. Everything you need to win against temptation, if you are a believer, you already have. Young people, everything you need to make a decision for your life, if you have Christ, you already have in you. You just need to ask him. Uh, you know, it's been so popular to, for people to go around saying uh, that little phrase, you know, well, what if Jesus would hear? Or, you know, it's that, uh, what was it, WWJD, what would Jesus do? We always use that as if he was out there in some, you know, omniscient place, you know, far in a land, far, far away, you know, in a galaxy, you know, f- far away from here. That's the way we think of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he's like, wait a minute. It's not everything you need to live your life in a way that pleases God. Guess what? It's already in you. That's what I've been trying to teach the men in our church. Some of them say, man, it's just so hard. Many of them have been divorced several times. Some of them just having tremendous struggles in their marriage. And it's like, you know, but pastor, I just can't get off the pornography or I can't get away from drinking or I can't get away from, you know, then they start naming all these things. And I'm like, wait a minute, guys. And I'm using this as only one example, okay? Of like, the next time you turn the computer on, you know, to look at pornography, all you have to remember is, if Christ is in you, then you are forcing Jesus to look at that. And you know what? Jesus can't because he cannot sin. So if you make a, a deliberate decision, and if you feel like that God has turned his back on you, well, guess what? He has because he can't look at it. You are making the choice to do that. And, and it could be that with anything, with drugs, with sex, with, with you know, anything. It could, I, mean, I mean, there are other sins too. And I don't want to get into a list because then we start to become just like the Pharisees. 
You see, they had a hard time with that too, didn't they? But what we need to really remember is that everything we need, we have in Christ. Everything I need. Now, some of us think if I had a little more money, that would help. I agree. Okay. I, I can share this. This church has been with us for the last 24 years. This is the first time we've ever come back on a furlough in 24 years where we actually have to come back and raise new support. I confess there have been churches that have said, oh, you know, because of the crisis, we can't support you anymore. And um, it hurts. But I have to remember my satisfaction level and what I do in Brazil doesn't depend on money. It depends on who is in me. And it is Christ in me, the hope of glory, the Bible says. And so for some reason, I can't go back to Brazil. If there's some reason that I don't get that money, well, it must be, it could be God's way of saying, okay, your time is up there. Now do it somewhere else. It could be Lancaster County. It could be Martinsburg, West Virginia, where my in-laws live. It could be in Kinston, North Carolina, where my mother lives. It could be Austin, Texas, where my son lives. Or it could be Timbuktu. It doesn't matter where. You see, circumstances don't change who is in me. Circumstances are not going to change who I am in Christ. So I want you to take that home with you today. And remember that everything you need has already been given by God's divine power. Now, I think we come to another point in this, though, because so many of us still have doubts. Well, can God really do that? You see, some of us are trying to compare things that have happened to us in the past, and we say, well, if God didn't take care of me then, how can I trust him in the future? Well, that's what we have to realize, that, you know what, a lot of things that happened, and we even heard, um, was it Curtis talked about, you know, how even his mere existence on this earth was because of, a, of an affair. But you know what, when you look at that now, you can say, look how God helped prepare him to be able to reach other young people that go through that same struggle. And he was over to overcome that. And I'm sure it was not easy, not even knowing him or talking to him. But God bless you, Curtis, for what you're doing and realizing that there is a higher power and everything he needs to be a good teacher or a good foster mom or dad or a good husband he already has in Christ. And if there ever comes a moment, it's not because of lack of money or because somebody wasn't praying for him. No, it was because we made a conscious decision to forget who we are in Christ. I hope you will continue to pray for our ministry. As I've said, we plan on returning to Brazil uh, January, Lord willing. I always have to add that, Lord willing, that's scriptural too, you know. Um, a lot of that, yes, depends on the finances. A lot of it depends on other things as well. The church did not want us to leave when we came back. It, it's been four years, almost five years since the furlough. And the church, uh, our pastor came to me at the end of last year. He says, Tom, there are some neat things going on. You've helped us in doing some transition here with missions. We're sending people to Egypt. I've sent people to Portugal. I've sent people to Haiti. We got people going in different places across South America. And he says, I really need you right now. And I looked at him and said, but pastor you do not need a disobedient pastor on your staff. And I feel committed in my heart that God is telling us to go back right now. The very first Sunday we were here, my mother-in-law was put in the hospital. 
And I told my wife, I said, that's one of the reasons. God knew we might only have this year to be with, with them. They have health problems, both my mother and my in-laws. You see, we don't know what's going to happen in our lives. But that's not the important thing, is it? Because my satisfaction doesn't depend on if I'm going to be sick tomorrow, if my mother or my in-laws are going to die or anything like that. No. The most important thing to me is to know that everything I need in any given situation, I have the Holy Spirit. But continue to pray, please. Uh, I would even encourage you, if you do not have a prayer card, I, I confess I do not have any brand new prayer cards But uh, I saw this morning in the rack out here on the side of the wall, there are some magnets still from the last time we were here. And uh, if you don't have one of those, if you would like to be able to take us home to pray for us, then please do that. But beyond praying for us, I hope you'll never forget that everything you have, just like that young man, the jiu-jitsu athlete, I'm teaching him, all you need is to remember that it is Christ in you. To be a dad to be a cell phone salesman, to be a jiu-jitsu athlete, to be whatever you already have in Christ Jesus. And I don't know what you're struggling with in life. I don't know what's going on with you. Remember, if you have Jesus Christ, you have everything you need. That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. When a temptation comes, you can base your faith on that. It was his divine power that has given me, has given us, has given you everything we need to live a godly life. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, I thank you because everything we need we have in Christ. Everything we need to overcome the temptations we have in Christ. Everything we need to make a decision about a a future occupation we have in Christ. Everything we need to, to resolve the difficulties that we're going through in a marriage situation or or whatever we have in Christ. Everything we need in dealing with our children we have in Christ. And May we not let the circumstances of life rob us of our joy. Lord, don't let Satan rob us of the greatest attribute that we have, and that is the Holy Spirit in us. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work right now, a work that I can't do. Because, Lord, I didn't come to try to impress people today. I didn't come to try to move people emotionally. I came to try to to share a reality that if we are believers, then we lack nothing. We lack nothing to live a life that pleases you. Lord, I pray that as as I think about my brothers and sisters in Brazil even right now, that they will remember those things that we've taught them to help them to realize that there is a world, yes, that's going to hell without Jesus Christ and it will take men and women who are dedicated, but who first of all realize through the knowledge, the one who's called, that they have everything they need to be good missionaries, to be witnesses at home and abroad. 
And Lord, I know that this church has been preaching that for many, many years. This church has been a, an outstanding influence in this community. Lord, may it continue to grow because there are many other people that need Christ and not only here in Lancaster County, but in around the world. So God, may you raise up our children and our grandchildren to go where we have not gone. Lord, would you give us the wisdom to be godly examples to our children and to our grandchildren so that they too can go forth and, and preach the gospel and, and be your witnesses at home and abroad. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom at work, at play, at study, whatever it is, Lord. May we be your witnesses. And to realize that everything we need doesn't come from getting more education, doesn't come from having more money. Everything we need doesn't come from from spending more time even in church or being involved. It just comes from the mere fact of knowing it's Christ in me. And that you are the hope of glory. And since that message lives in me, may I help share it everywhere I go. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless the leadership of this church. Lord, I pray that you would continue to to give them guidance to be able to administer what you have given as a responsibility to this local assembly. Lord, I thank you for faithful people. God, may they continue to to expand their vision and their horizons. May they realize that that change is necessary in some ways to be able to take it the next step, to be able to have more outreach. Oh, Lord, I pray that you continue to do work in this great place, in this church. In Christ's name I ask. Amen.